Welcome to the radio program, Why Paul? Bringing and interpreting the doctrine Jesus Christ presented through the Apostle Paul. Your hosts are Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton of 14th Street Ministries. We are here to bring you the answers found in 2 Timothy, verse 2, and encourage you to teach and share this program with others. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton. And happy spring. We're glad to uh, be back this week and um, uh, happy with the spring time coming and the um, and Easter coming this weekend. So that's nice. Um, and um, today, let's go ahead and first start with um, um, opening in prayer. Um, David, could you um, pray for us? Certainly. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to teach and to fellowship with people over the internet. We pray, Lord, that the word would not return void, that it would accomplish what you send it to do. We give you all the glory. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And we'll introduce ourselves. Um, I am your host, Michelle Mix. And I'm your host, uh, Michael Mix. I'm your host, Pam Lampton. And I'm your host, David Reed. Okay. And uh, it's exciting. This week, we're starting um, kind of a new um, uh, new discussion um, today. Uh, we'll be talking about Ephesians. Um, but first, um, I don't think we've um, checked over the stats um, for a couple mm-hmm. programs. So, Pam, do you want to share some of those with us? Yeah, sure. Um, the stats we came in that came in for the Facebook Live of listeners, um, we have hit 3,245 listeners wow. um, on Facebook. Um, I'm going to name some countries that are listening to the Facebook um, live program. Um, We have 74 United States. We have the Philippines, India, South Africa, Nigeria, Australia, Canada, Norway, the Fiji Islands, Japan, Uganda, Lebanon, um, Vietnam, Kenya, and the languages that have translated um, the Facebook program live have been translated in Norwegian and Vietnamese. Hmm. Wow. And the on-demand radio program, we have 99 listeners this month, 52 in China, 99 United States, two in Canada, and one in Germany. Those are um, that can listen on demand to the to the broadcast the radio program. Yeah, I find that interesting. Of that, uh, you're able to see um, who translated um, mm-hmm. into their language. So, um, to me, what that tells me is, you know, someone is determined to hear. Um, the Word of God, mm-hmm. you know, by we ask God to really bless them. Yes, through the Amen. Word. Amen. All right, that's exciting. Um, and also, uh, right before we get started, um, I think it'd be great. Um, I think we have a question that came in, Pam. Um, I think if we, um, you know, yes. hear from that question first. Okay, we'll go ahead. Um, we have a listener um, in India, and I'll just go ahead and quote what she emailed. Good afternoon from India. I am so happy that you are on Facebook, and I'm blessed with your program. 
The question I have is the question of the book of life is mentioned in Philippians as well as in Revelation. Does it mean that the names of the members of the body of Christ are also mentioned in the book of life? I need some clarification on this. And her name is Jasmine from India. David, you want to answer that? Sure. This is something people wonder about because, you know, just to set the, the, the stage for this, we understand there's a difference between the dispensation of grace, which is a mystery. That's the time period in which we live. It's different from time past, the prophetic program. Uh, in time past, God's vehicle, God's church, if you will, was believing Israel. Today, God's church is the body of Christ. And so the body of Christ has a spiritual inheritance in the heavens and the nation of Israel uh, under the prophetic program will inherit a literal physical kingdom on the earth. So it's two different groups of saints, two different groups of people, two different groups of believers with two different destinies. Well, when you think about the book of life, that's, that's a term that you see multiple times in Revelation. And it's obviously talking to believers under the prophetic program, the kingdom program. But there's a single appearance of, of book of life in Philippians 4 verse 3. And I'll just read it to you. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. So people wonder that, you know, is are members of the body of Christ, are they also in the book of life? Because we know that, that kingdom saints are. And uh, there are two different schools of thought. One school of thought is that the book of life is only kingdom saints. The other school of thought is that it's kingdom saints, but also includes members of the body of Christ. Turn with me to Revelation 20, and I'll show you what I think is the answer. Um, Obviously, we encourage you to study it for yourself, uh, but here's what I think is the case based upon Revelation 20. So, Revelation 20, 11, and I saw a great white throne. This is what's commonly called the great white throne judgment. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and those books contained their works. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. So there are books opened at the great white throne judgment that have people's works, and there's the book of life, which is a different book that's opened. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The multiple books are a recording of their works, their deeds. And if you look down with me at verse 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so it seems what happens at the great white throne judgment, this is a very sobering, serious event is that the lost of all the ages are cast into the lake of fire. And the lost are described as people whose names are not written in the book of life. So my understanding of the book of life is that it contains the names not only of all saved people under the kingdom program, but it also contains the names of everyone who is saved uh, under the mystery program during the dispensation of grace. Some see it differently. That's that's my understanding, uh, my current understanding of it. So, uh, study it out. Be fully persuaded in your own mind. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, David. We appreciate yeah. it. Our pleasure. 
And um, so hopefully uh, Jasmine was able to um, hear that and hopefully uh, she's able to listen to that today. Um, So let's go ahead and um, uh, we'll get into Ephesians today. Okay, we're going to um, start Ephesians for the next few weeks. And today we're going to try to go from verses uh, one through six. Pam, would you mind reading uh, Ephesians one through six, please? One, one through six. Okay. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are in Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from our God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he hath chosen us, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame with before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Thank you. Yeah, and that there's some uh, rich information and uh, David's going to expound upon each one of these verses. Uh, I'll start off by reading uh, Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, an ex- apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So, David, do you expound upon uh, that verse, please? Sure, my, my pleasure. And we'll just sort of work through the the verses and cover what, you know, is in each verse. So the first thing we notice in verse one is that Paul was an apostle by the will of God. It wasn't something that he took upon himself. If you think about Acts chapter nine, verse three, and if you want to turn there, that'd be great. But Acts nine, verse three, it says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, the Lord appeared to Paul. It wasn't that Paul was looking for him, because even when the Lord appeared to him, what is Paul's first question? Who are you? He didn't know. Um, so it wasn't that Paul was looking to be an apostle. It was that God chose him to be an apostle. He was an apostle by the will of God. In verse 6, notice what it says. After the Lord tells him in verse 5, I am Jesus, notice verse 6, and he trembling and astonished. So Paul was, he's astonished. He was amazed. And then he was trembling. He was fearful. Well, why is that? Obviously, what had he been doing immediately prior to this? He had been persecuting believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ appears to him and says, I'm the Lord. So Paul was amazed and fearful at that. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be do. What happens in in Acts 9 is Paul realizes he's on the wrong team. He's been persecuting the true church. Let's skip down to verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way. This is what the Lord says to Ananias. For he is a chosen vessel unto me 
Again, God chose Saul. It wasn't Saul choosing God. He is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So we see that Paul was a chosen vessel, specifically chosen by the Lord. That's what it means when Paul says he's an apostle by the will of God. Now, what, it, what verse 1 then says is that it says that this is written to the saints which are at Ephesus. And so, let's just cover a couple details about Ephesus that will help us as we go through the book. So, if we go to Acts 19, verse 1, this is the first time that Paul was in Ephesus. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. Well, that's the start of when Paul spent time in Ephesus, and we know that he spends some time there. What I'm going to do, is I'm going to, just for the sake of time, I'm going to skip down to verse 28. Uh, and, and this is the, the riot that occurred in Ephesus. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. In other words, people said to the crowd that Paul was teaching against their customs. And they responded by saying, you know, they're full of wrath. They cry out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Verse 34, but when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space, notice this, of two hours cried out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Even when people are outraged and angry, they normally just don't have the emotion or the fortitude to chant for two hours, right? Mm -hmm. They just, mm -hmm. they get tired or bored. <laughs> but they're so worked up here that they just keep chanting for two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. It's obviously quite a spectacle. If you think about 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32, Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he describes what happened in Corinth. Notice verse 32. If after the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. Well, is he saying that he wrestled bears and tigers? I, I don't think so. I think what he's saying is what I went through in Ephesus was the, the equivalent of fighting with beasts. That's what I was dealing with. Again, then let's look at 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. This is where Paul's writing to Timothy, and notice what he says here. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. I think what you can tell from 1 Timothy 1 is that Timothy is the pastor. He is the leader of the church in Ephesus. That's relevant because when you look at the book of Ephesians, who's it written to? It's written to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus. And we just need to understand that Timothy has a prominent role in that church. And then if you look at me at Ephesians 6, verses 21 and 22, notice what Paul says, but that ye also may know my affairs and how I do. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that ye might know our affairs, that he might comfort your hearts. So who delivers the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus? Well, it seems to be Tychicus. Um, so why does that matter? Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Now, it's widely understood that 2 Timothy is the last epistle that Paul writes. He talks in there about how I finished the course, I have kept the faith. He talks about being ready to be offered. Well, notice what Paul says in, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 12. Antichicus have I sent to Ephesus. 
Well, that, that verse 12 is describing exactly what happened with the book of Ephesians. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. He gave it to Tychicus and said, deliver this to Ephesus. What that tells you is the book of Ephesians is written uh, either immediately before or most likely, more likely, contemporary with 2 Timothy. So 2 Timothy, which is viewed as the very last epistle Paul writes, Ephesians is written at the same time or immediately before it. So what have we seen from all this? We've seen that what's going on here is Timothy is the pastor of the church at Ephesus. We know that what happened in Ephesus is there was a great uproar that occurred in Acts 19. We know that Ephesians is one of the last epistles that Paul wrote about the same time of 2 Timothy. So that's all relevant context as we now dig into the book. And so uh, maybe we ought to turn to verse 2 real quickly if we can. Sure. Um, so <clears throat> I have that one. Um, Ephesians 1-2 says, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So in Acts 755, this is when Stephen is looking into heaven. And of course, we know that Saul is present at the stoning of Stephen. Notice what happens in Acts 755. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Now, whenever scripture tells you something twice, it's emphasizing, right? It's making sure that you don't miss it. So when Stephen looks into heaven, he sees the Son of Man, Lord Jesus Christ, he sees him standing. Well, when you think about the Lord standing, a verse that probably comes to mind is Revelation 19.11. Revelation 19.11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, obviously. Now, notice what the verse then says. And in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. So when the Lord is standing when, when heaven is opened, what happens is the Lord is about to return and do two things, judge and make war. Why is that relevant? Well, here's why that's relevant. What we just read in Ephesians 1-2 is that Paul began his epistles saying grace and peace. And if you read every single one of Paul's epistles, he will start early on and say, grace and peace. You know why he does that? Because when the Lord Jesus Christ was going to return, when heaven was opened, he was going to do two things. He was going to judge and he was going to make war. Well, what's the opposite of war? Peace. Peace. What's the opposite of judgment? Grace. So the reason why Paul says grace and peace at the beginning of every one of his epistles is he is reminding his, his readers of the nature of the dispensation of grace. It's not God pouring out wrath today. It's not God judging people or making war. It's a time of grace and peace. And that's why he begins that way. Good. Yeah, and that's that's such a blessing of that grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we're going to continue uh, with Ephesians. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
14th Street Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. Your donations are most appreciated. You can make donations on our website at 14thstreetministries.com. Our goal is to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Our message is to lift the believer, teaching sound doctrine by rightly dividing the word of truth. We are a grace ministry. You can reach out to us by calling 314-243-3779 or by contacting us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com or follow our Facebook page. Look for 14th Street Online Bible Study. We hear just be you a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show. Hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What's the difference between leaders who achieve exceptional results with ease and those who struggle to keep up? Tune in for Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. You'll discover the simple practices that are making the biggest difference to a leader's success today. You'll meet leaders who are bringing out the best in their teams. You'll gain practical strategies to lead yourself and others to high performance with ease. Leading on Purpose airs live Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. listening to the radio program why paul if you'd like to participate in today's program call in to 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to michael r mix at 14th street ministries.com now back to why paul and welcome back. And I just want to um, let all of our listeners know that here at 14th Street Ministries, we are we are a listener-supported ministry. We are all volunteers, no payroll. Uh, so your donations are most appreciated. And if you would like to support this ministry to help pay for the broadcast programming time, you can send your donations to 14th Street Ministries, 366 Woods Avenue, and that's in Newark, Ohio, 43055. And I'm your host, Michelle Mix. I'm your host, Michael Mix. I'm your host, Pam Lampton. I'm your host, David Reed. All okay. right. And we're jumping back into um, Ephesians 1.3. Okay, okay, Pam, would you read uh, Ephesians yes. 1.3? Okay, Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And David, do you expound upon that, please? Certainly. The thing that's fascinating in that verse is Paul specifically makes the point that we're blessed with all spiritual blessings, not some, but all of them. But he describes where those blessings are located. And he says, in heavenly places in Christ. That is a contrast with the blessings that were given to Israel. So look with me at Genesis 13. Genesis chapter 13, and we'll begin in verse 14. And the Lord said unto Abram, and of course Abram is from whom the nation of Israel descends. Uh, 
And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. Verse 15, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. So what God was going to give to Abram and his seed was land. It was specific land on the earth. God never told Abram or Israel, when you die, you're going to go up to heaven, and that's where you're going to live forever. He didn't say that at all. He told them, in fact, no, look at this land. This land, as far as you can see, that's what you're going to get, and how long are you going to get it? Forever. So notice the difference between Israel and the body of Christ. The body of Christ is blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, while Israel is going to inherit a particular large parcel of land on the earth forever. There's a difference. Very good. And, of course, there is two places. That, like in, um, in Genesis, it says God created the heavens and the earth. And then in Revelations, it talks about the new heaven and the new earth. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So and God said, views, go. yeah, God views the universe as being those two sections, and the earth is for Israel, and the heavens are for the body of Christ. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I'll read um, Ephesians one four. According as it hath chosen us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Um, David, you want to expound upon that one? Certainly. So it, it talks there about how we are chosen, and uh, it, it specifically says that we are chosen in him. This is a very particular type of choosing that occurs. Um, so look with me, if you would, at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. 1 Corinthians one twenty one. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, when it talks about, when it says chosen us in him, some people have the idea God chose person A to be saved, but not person B. He chose person C, but not person D. And they think that God just picks to save certain people. Well, that's not what the scriptures teach. What it says here is he chose us in him. Mm-hmm. And what First Corinthians 1 explains is what God did is God chose to save those that believe. Who controls what you believe? You do. In other words, you have free will. You have the ability to decide whether or not to believe the gospel. God doesn't foreordain some people to heaven and some people to hell. What God did is God chose to save those who believe. That's what he chose. And you control whether or not you believe. So, for example, in Acts 16.31, actually in verse 30, the Philippian jailer asks Paul, and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul didn't say, well, you're saved if you're one of the elect, or you're saved if God predestinated you. What he simply said to him was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So each individual determines whether they go to heaven or not by whether or not they believe the gospel. 
Now, the reason why God did it that way, look with me at Romans 3, verse 27. Romans 3, verse 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Here's what that verse is what that verse means. If we were saved by works, we could boast. We could say, well, I did a bunch of good works, and therefore I deserve to be saved. But if God saves us by faith, which is not our works, but simply something we believe, there's really nothing to boast about. And so what God did is God chose a method of salvation that doesn't give us anything to boast about, but it gives all the glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who died on the cross for our sins? Who paid the full penalty? Well, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we get saved, it's not because of how great we are or how many good works we perform. It's because we had faith in what he did. Now, if you look at verse Ephesians 1 verse 4 again, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, what that means is God's plan with the mystery, with the dispensation of grace, God does, didn't just make it up in the middle of Acts where he said, wow, things are turning out different from what I thought. I better switch things up. And so I'm going to come up with a new plan. It wasn't a new plan. It was God's plan from the beginning. It just hadn't been revealed to man. So what Ephesians 1.4 is talking about when it talks about cho- choosing It's God choosing to save people who believe the gospel, and he chooses us in him. In other words, in Jesus Christ. That's what verse 4 is talking about. Okay. So, in other words, um, Christ was predestinated, right? Yeah, and it's fun. That's a great segue, because let's go to verse 5, because this will be fun. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, So, Ephesians 1, 5 says... Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, this this goes to the exact question that Michael was asking, because predestination is a very debated topic within Christianity. There's all kinds of different views. And what we're going to do in the next few minutes is we're going to go through what the scriptures say about it. And so not man's opinions. We're just going to go with the scriptures. So verse five says, having predestinated us, and then notice what it says, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. The predestination in that verse is unto adoption, okay? It doesn't say you're predestinated as to where you eat lunch. It doesn't say you're predestinated as to what job you take or where you go to school or who you marry or anything like that. The predestination in that verse is only unto adoption. And we're going to talk more about what adoption means in just a minute. Now, there is a teaching out there in, in, in Christendom that says God predestinates some people to be saved, and, and he doesn't predestinate others to be saved. Well, that is, is an is a unsound doctrine. That is a false doctrine, because then if God picks certain people to be saved and not others, then, then why would the, the ones he doesn't pick be responsible for going to hell? I mean, he didn't pick them. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look together at every single reference to predestinate in all of Scripture, and there's only four of them. Now, just ponder that for a minute. Think about how much people talk about predestination. The Bible only uses the word 
four times. Does that mean it's a really major doctrine? I mean, it can't mean that. And what happens is the word predestinate is used twice, and the word predestinated is used twice. So there's a total of four. Two of those are in Ephesians 1, and two of those are in Romans 8. So we just looked at verse 5, and that said we were predestinated unto the adoption. Now look with me at verse 11. Being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Well, the predestination in verse 11 doesn't talk about being predestinated to some different event. It's, it's in the same context as verse 5. So what have we learned? In Ephesians 1, when the term predestinated is used, it is used in reference to the adoption. So then what we have to do is we have to figure out, well, what does the adoption mean? Now, let me pause here just for a minute. A lot of times what we do with words is we think, well, I know what that word means. I know what adoption means. Adoption is when you take someone that is not your child and you legally make them your child. And so we all know what adoption means. Well, that understanding is okay for most things in life, but is that how scripture uses the word adoption? And the simple answer is, it is not. Look with me at Romans chapter 8. The point I'm trying to make is this. The Bible sometimes uses words and gives them a very specific meaning. And when it does that, we should believe it. We should respect it. We shouldn't invent our own meaning. We shouldn't take a different meaning outside of the Bible. We should allow the Bible to speak with authority on any subject on which it speaks. So look with me at Romans 8 verse 23. Romans chapter 8, verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. So here's the same word, adoption, to wit. In other words, namely, specifically, I'm going to define it for you. To wit, the redemption of our body. So notice carefully what we just saw. The word adoption in the scriptures is given a very specific meaning. The adoption is the redemption of our body. So now think with me for a minute. Are you adopted at the very moment that you believe the gospel? Is your body redeemed at that point? It's not. I mean, does your body right now, is your body perfect? Or does your body still have indwelling sin? Do you still have a sin nature? Does your body still get sick? I suspect yours does. Mine does, right? This is, you know, praise the Lord. This is not the body I will be in for eternity, right? That would be terrible, right? I mean, that would just be awful. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. 
what's going on here? Well, what God is going to do is before he takes us to heaven, he's going to take our corruptible bodies, the ones that we have right now that decay and get sick and deteriorate, and he's going to swap them out. In other words, what he's going to do is he's going to change them. So then what we have is we have an immortal body. Now, there's a very important reason for this. Let me ask the question this way. Do you ever sin? Do you ever do something that you don't want to do? And the answer is we all do. Why is that? It's because in this body, we still have a sin nature. If God took us to heaven in these bodies that we are in right now, what would we do? We would contaminate it. We would fill it with sin. And God's desire for the new heavens is that they be perfect. They be without sin, without evil, without wickedness. So what does God have to do? What he has to do is he has to give us new bodies, immortal bodies, bodies that are not corruptible, bodies that do not have sin. And when does he do that? He does that at the rapture. That's when you get your new body. So think about this. If the adoption is the redemption of our body, does the adoption occur at the moment of salvation or does the adoption occur at the rapture? It occurs at the rapture, according to the Bible. Now, look with me at Romans chapter 8 again, and we're going to look at verse 29. Now, verse 29, of course, is just a few verses after verse 23. So it's the same context, obviously. Well, Romans 8, 23 is what told us what the adoption is. Look at verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, but predestinate to what? He, did, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, notice carefully, we've now read all four verses about predestination. Ephesians 1.5 said we were predestinated unto the adoption. Ephesians 1.11 also talked about predestination according to the purpose of him. That was also about adoption in context. When we tried to study adoption, where did it take us? It took us to Romans 8, which is the same passage that has the two other verses on predestination. And what did verse 29 of Romans 8 just tell us? Well, it talked about being predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. So let me ask you, are you already conformed to the image of his son? Well, not yet. You're not going to be conformed to the image of his son until the rapture. So what does this all tell us? Here's what what this seems to mean. Uh, and by the way, get with me, um, get with me Philippians 3. Let's go there next. Philippians chapter 3, and we'll look at verse 20. Philippians 3, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven. From hence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice verse 21. 
who shall change our vile body. Has our vile body already been changed? It hasn't. The body that we have is vile, right? In other words, what just to, I guess I'll just make this point, not trying to be gross or anything, but to give you an idea of what this body is like, what happens if you, if you die and you put this body in the ground for a few days? Smells. It, it deteriorates, right? Yeah. What, did, what, did, what did Scripture say about Lazarus? After four days, he what? Stinketh. Stinketh, mm-hmm. right? Which means he no smelleth good. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, these bodies are vile bodies, and they deteriorate, and they degenerate, and they're corruptible, and so on. Well, notice what Philippians 3.21 tells us, and this is a wonderful thing. Who shall change our vile body? When it says who shall change, it means it hasn't been changed yet. We're still waiting for it. That's at the rapture. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body? That's what Romans 8.29 is talking about when it says that we will be conformed to the image of his son. We will have a body like his According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So we've seen what predestination is about. It's not about where you eat lunch. It's not about what job you take. And it's certainly not about who's saved and who's not saved. The person that decides whether or not you're saved is you. It's not God. And you know how I know that? What is, look, look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I I just want to go to this verse to make this absolutely clear. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will, so here's God's will, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Is God's will to save a couple people here and there, or is his will, is his desire that all men be saved? Mm-hmm. He wants to save all of them. That tells you that salvation is not based upon God picking people, because if it was, he would save all of them. Salvation is based upon how people respond to the gospel. The gospel is Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. If you believe that, you're saved. And if you don't believe that, you're not. And that choice is yours. It's Mm -hmm. a choice you can freely make, and you can make that choice today. Don't don't wait. All you have to do is have faith in the blood that the Lord Jesus Christ shed for you, and you're saved. Turn with me, if you would, to uh, Revelation 22. Revelation 22. And we're going to look at verse 17. This is... Uh, This is a verse near the very, very end of the Bible, and I just find this to be a beautiful verse. Notice what it says, and this, this is Revelation 22, 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that is, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. The part I love about that verse, you see where it says, whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Does that sound like God is making salvation hard and you have to earn his favor and you have to strive to get it? Or does it say, whosoever will, anyone that wants it 
can have it. Do you have to pay for it? No, because you can take it what? Freely. Freely. Isn't that beautiful? Mm -hmm. In in other words, your salvation, you decide where you're going to spend eternity. God would like for you to spend eternity with him. But you're going to decide that because you're going to decide that on the basis of whether or not you believe the gospel. If you believe the gospel, you will spend it in eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ, and that'll be a blessing. And if you reject the gospel, then just to be honest, you have only yourself to blame because God desires to save you. Now, our purpose in covering all of this is is this. We want you to understand that predestination is not God picking certain people to salvation and not others. It's not that at all. The only thing God predestinates people unto is he predestinates individual members of the body of Christ to participate in the rapture. So think about this with me, if you would. As you think about life on earth, don't people's experiences vary quite a bit? Are there some people that die in the womb and Mm -hmm. some people that live to be 100? Mm -hmm. And there's some people that they believe the gospel when they're four years old and they live a life of glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's other people that don't get saved until they're 90, Mm -hmm. right? And there's people that never come to faith, and there's people that die in tragic accidents and other people that live a long time. My, my point is, there's a lot of variation in what happens on the earth. Ecclesiastes says, time and chance happeneth to all. So, as someone living during the dispensation of grace, do you know if you have another moment? You don't. Do you know how long you'll live? You don't. You don't know any of those things. But there is a singular event that every member of the body of Christ has to participate in, right? Not everyone has to be old enough to drive. Not everyone has to get water baptized. But every single member of the body of Christ has to go through the rapture because they need a new body. And that's true whether you're already dead or whether you're still living, right? So look with me at First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians, and we'll look at chapter 4. First Thessalonians 4, and we'll start in verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So those that are already dead, they rise first. Verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Everyone, every believer has to participate in the rapture. That's what we're predestinated unto, but we're not predestinated unto any other event in life. So I know I said a lot there about verse five. I'm going to pause and let my colleagues comment, but that's what predestination is. It's not predestination to salvation. It's predestination of believers to the rapture because that's where you get the new body that you need to go to heaven. They're our blessed hope. Yes. <clears throat> it sure is. Yeah. Something That'll be a real. glorious event. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's coming. It's coming, and um, 
the sooner the better. That's right. Okay. Pam, or, um, let's see, uh, Pam? Yes. Would you read? Um, verse 6, yes. Ephesians 1, 6. Yes. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, God saved us to the praise of his glory of his grace. Yeah, to the, so what it says there, it, it continues from verse 5, to the praise of the glory of mm-hmm. his grace. So why did, why did God predestinate us? What was, what was, his, what was his purpose for that? Well, it was for his own glory, and it was specifically for the glory of his grace. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved because we earned it. But what God does by his grace is he, he demonstrates his love and his self-sacrifice for humanity. So think of it this way. When, when the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross and he, he drank that, that cup of bitterness, right? He, he, he suffered the wrath of God for the sins of mankind. And just ponder how terrible that was, right? Jesus Christ was holy. He was without sin. He was perfectly righteous. He was never alienated from the Father. He was always in perfect fellowship with the Father. But God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we in him might be the righteousness of God. What God did, because his justice required it, is since he wanted us to be in heaven, and since we couldn't be there on our own, he said, you know what? My son will come to the earth. He'll take upon himself human flesh, and he will suffer my wrath. I will pour out my wrath upon him so that he pays for your sins so that I can freely give you eternal life. Well, that's to the praise of the glory of his grace, right? I don't get credit for that. You don't get credit for that. Who gets credit for that? The Lord Jesus Christ gets credit for that. And so that's, that's what he's accomplished. And so in eternity, it will be more than obvious that all glory, all praise should flow to the Lord Jesus Christ and no one else. Now, notice the second part of the verse there, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And I want to talk a little bit about being accepted in the beloved. The way that a lot of life works and I'm just going to be candid with you. Do you have some people in life that frustrate you? Mm. I mean, if you're honest, you do. Do you have some people where you have to love them by faith because everything in you doesn't want to love them? They're not really lovable, but you love them by faith because scripture commands you to do so. Well, people like that, what you do is you, you tolerate them and you endure them, but you don't you don't have a warm, fuzzy feeling about them if we're being honest. But I want you to contrast that sentiment with what Ephesians 1, 6 says. Look what it says, hath made us accepted in the Mm -hmm. beloved. What God doesn't do is this. God doesn't look at you and say, well, there's Dave Reed. He's a real jerk. Um, Christ died for his sins, so I guess I have to let him into heaven, but I'd really rather not because he's obnoxious. Well, God doesn't look at me that way. I am accepted. He accepts me. He doesn't accept me because of my works 
or because of who I am as a person, how does he accept me according to that verse? He accepts me in the beloved. The beloved is obviously a reference to Jesus Christ. So let me, let me explain this because this, I think, is powerful. When God looks at you, when he looks at every member of the body of Christ, he doesn't see you with your faults. He doesn't see you according to all the the unrighteousness and wicked that you've done. He doesn't see you on the basis of all the problems that you still continue to cause, but he sees you in the beloved. He sees you in Christ, and he has perfect unconditional, eternal love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he has for you Mm -hmm. because you're in Christ. Isn't isn't that profound? I mean, that truth should really change your life because God sees us in Christ and we are accepted in his son, in the beloved. Yeah, we should always pause there in case anyone wants to comment. Yeah, We Mm -hmm. should always remember who we are in Christ. And, and all that involves. Amen. And, and not and, dependent on ourselves and our, our character, our sin. It's, it's Christ and Christ alone. Right. Yeah, and Satan wants us to look at our downfalls. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he accepts there's, us for who we are. That's, that's the nice part because, like you said, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people that, you know, maybe don't tolerate me or like me, but I— I'm secure in the fact that, you know, I'm accepted. Yeah, I love you and I like you, but I just can't stand you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Colossians 2 says that we are complete in him. And it's, it's a very comforting thing to know that God doesn't see us according to our worst. He sees us according to the Lord Jesus Christ best. And, um, that, that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. That's a wonderful crutch. So. Yes. It's a wonderful thing to be, to know where you stand. So Ephesians is going to, when we were in verse three earlier, and it talked about all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. One of the things we'll notice as we go through Ephesians is some of the spiritual blessings the body of Christ has, and they are profound. Yeah. Yeah, we'll continue on next week, uh, starting verse with seven. verse seven. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. And... Um, that definitely gave us, you know, a lot to uh, think about, you know, as we're looking through Ephesians. And we can always read up. Uh, so next week, if we're going to talk about Ephesians 1, 7, and then uh, we might make it to one twenty three. So if anybody wants to, you know, read up on that and, you know, be ready to uh, join in. Put if they have in any chat. questions, too, if they read mm-hmm. it and have questions. Yes. Of course, I'm sure we'll answer those. Yes. Uh, So, um, it's been a a great um, uh, week this week, and uh, we appreciate everyone listening um, in there. And then send us those questions. We're always happy to answer those questions. And you can email us at uh, michaelrmix at 14thstreetministries.com. And we will um, be back next week. Thank you. Thank you. been listening to why paul visit us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com and please join michael r mix michelle mix and pamela lampton again next tuesday at 4 p.m pacific time and 7 p.m eastern time on the voice america empowerment channel for more thoughts and wisdom also be sure to tell everyone about our program 